You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. It is a Sunday morning. It is just after 7.30. My name's A.B. Bishop and this is the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, We've got a lovely panel here this morning. I would like to welcome to the studio landscaper Loretta Childs and landscaper and owner of Treasured Perennials, Ben Brooker. Good morning, guys. Good morning to you. Good morning. What's everyone been up to early start, especially for Ben? Yeah, Druin. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not too bad. The, yeah. Uh, it's a good, nice drive in, so mm-hmm. nice quick drive because there's not much traffic, so it's good. Mm-hmm. So but, uh, we're, we're sort of preparing now for, for all the expos. They're not sort of too far away now for us. So we're, Kerry and I, we're doing a lot of lot of work in the nursery, sort of, yeah, picking stock and writing lists and that sort of for all the different sort of shows coming up, so... Yeah, so you exciting. have a lot of stock in pots ready to go? Uh, yeah, and a lot just will come on because we've got the different expos with different with, in the different seasons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we yeah we have different stock for each each different um, expo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that that's your main sales sort of um, tool, I suppose, isn't it? Or do you have a nursery as well that people can visit? Yeah, but that's by appointment only. Yeah. Kieran and I, we both work full time mm-hmm. as well. So, yep. and this is becoming a little bit more more involved now. So, we, we finish work, we go home, we we we're into the nursery, into the second job. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, and it, we love it. It's yeah, it's a it's a passion that you know we're we're really sort of going sort of hard towards. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, fabulous! Uh, so, it's uh, all about going to the shows. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Which is nice because it's interacting with people, like plants people, and mm. and. You know, educating people on on species that you know a lot of them haven't seen before, mm. um, and, and it's actually that nice feeling of seeing someone sort of really taking the information you're actually giving them um, on something new, and then then taking it home excited to plant it, and then going to the next show, they coming back and saying how well that plant has performed for them. Um, it's just such a nice feeling. So, and I guess you yeah. get a better understanding of the different environments that they grow in. Yeah. Well, look. See, at home we we do a lot of trial at home as well, so mm-hmm. we make sure that the the plant is is going to grow for 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 a lot of the customers. Um, and plus, we don't we don't modiclot our plants either. We 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 tend to grow them in the full elements, so not in hot houses. I mean, mm-hmm. I will propagate in in hot houses, and and from there we'll go into a bit of a, a shady or, or a shade shade house area, uh, and then there it's it's out in full elements. So it's copying frost, the wind, everything. Um, and and even in summer, it's copying all those the the heat and the dry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you take that plant home, it's hardened off. Mm-hmm. So it's not it hasn't been looked after too much. Yeah. But it's still look. I, I, I we always make sure that they're well fed. 
um, with the right minerals and all that sort of stuff as well. So um, it, you have got a healthy plant mm. as well. Mm. Yeah. So do you focus on plants that are mostly suitable for growing in Victoria and Tassie, say, or are, are there ones which will suit subtropical areas? Some, yeah. Most of it, yeah, most of it is, yes, more suitable for, for our climate. Um, mm-hmm. so there is a lot there that if you get high humidity, they won't won't last at all. Yeah. Because um, you get a lot of the fungal uh, bacteria and uh, and that building up around it, yep. um, and then plus because it's uh, uh, they they stop photosynthesizing at a certain temperature, as well. Even when there's high humidity, they'll stop photosynthesizing. So the fungi and bacteria come in and just start eating at the the plant, so it just rots out. Mm-hmm. So um, because we don't have high humidities here, they they, they thrive. Mm. Um, but that's not all our plants. I mean, all, there is some plants that you know will handle Sydney and. And, and further north of Sydney. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and so is it mostly sort of smaller plants or is it some larger shrubs? What what sort of um, – yeah. what, what's on your stock list, Ben? Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot coming on as well. All right, um, let's start it out. Yeah, so, but it's, it's all, all you perennials. So, yeah, so all your smaller stuff. I have got a few gro- larger growing plants. Um, one of my favourite is a plant called Dendropotrium menzii. So, mm-hmm. and it's only – it gets to probably about, uh, what, three to four metres high. Yep. Um, but the foliage is that bipinnated foliage, um, beautiful sort of silvery, glauky sort of a colour uh, with a pale pink um, catkin flower. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very dense growing bush or small tree. Um, it's one of those ones that sort of tends to have the, a very high canopy, but it has new foliage coming through at the base. So you sort of have these layers sort of coming through, which is quite unique. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, but majority of our plants are just perennials that are all your lower growing. Yeah. How do you choose what you want to grow? Is it just you see them in some other fair and think that looks good, let's add it to the list? Uh, yeah, I try and look at stuff that's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I sort of think that no one else will actually have. Um, and try and sort of set myself or set ourselves apart from everyone else. As well, yeah. 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 And then you've got special beds for the plants, like you've created different beds that really good drainage or anything, or just just your standard druin soil? Yeah, standard druin soil. It's mm-hmm. pretty good soil where we are. Yeah. Um, but look, we, we are elevated a little bit higher um, and we're on a bit of a slope as well. So I can sort of pick and choose where particular things will grow better. Um, because part of the property, you know, we find that it can be a lot drier than, than other parts of the property, which mm. can hold a little bit more moisture. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more sort of humus in the soil. Yeah. Um, it's we, – we colour code our garden. Um, Kerry, she's very – she's the one that's very disciplined in, in colour coding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I think it's just sort of – yeah, that's what we mostly sort of pick for with our gardens. So, so is that when you're talking about colour coding, you're doing, you know – Oh, let's say it's mass planting to semi-mass planting of colour. So you might, you know, six or seven of this and in groups. Yeah, but then we'll have, like, we've got one garden bed that's, a, let's say, it's a, I think it's 16 metres by about eight metres right. in a sort of half moon shape. And I colour-coded that as orange, yellow and white. Okay. Um, and there's probably about nearly 20 different species in there. Okay. Um, but then we'll have like a planting of, you know, say for instance, I've got the Babiana pygmia in there. Yep. Um, there might be about seven or nine of them in there. Mm. So, yeah. And then yeah. same with the Bulbanella, which I've one that I've actually brought in as well. 
Um, I'm slowly getting the numbers up on those ones in the garden bed to sort of mass plant because it's mm. one of the first things flowering in that garden bed. Yes, and spring um, is, is popping? It's uh, Our garden, mid-spring to late spring is going to be okay. it's more, more that sort of type of garden, mm-hmm. um, the early spring. Um, it's sort of everything's just starting to come through, push through the ground. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But Very the, exciting, isn't it? It's it is. that sort of – I know where AB and I are going. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that late spring? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and what about? Do you have any problems with rabbits down there? Uh, now and then we do. Yep. Yeah. Usually, I try and find their burrows, and I'll fill their burrows in, and yeah, we sort of try and yeah move them on. Deal because I mean, you keep filling their burrows in, they they do tend to they'll move on to the next area because they think it's not a a place where they want to live, so they they sort of move on. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I often think it'd be very tricky for people who have got businesses. Different when you've got your own personal garden. It's not so mm. integral when the rabbits and wallabies come in for a, a bit of a feast, but when it's a business, it's a very different yeah, proposition, different. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, no, it sounds um, sounds great. I actually can't wait to get down there sometime and, and have a squeeze at everything that you've got. Yeah, well, something that was interesting because I think it was on the news a couple of weeks ago about that uh, the broadtooth rat. Oh yes, we talked about that, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. I, well, it's been a couple of years. I like I've, I had noticed this rat in the paddocks, and I made the paddocks quite high. And one day, this rat it actually jumped sort of beside me, and it just sat there. So I had a good look at it, and knew that it actually wasn't just a, a common, you know, vermin yep. sort ratus, of rat. Ratus. So, yeah, so it was a native rat. So and yeah, just to be able to hear that it was actually one of the the broadtails was quite excited. So yeah, now I leave the top end of the nursery, their grass there long because it's where it's actually living so yep. yeah so we keep that sort of separate and I want to start introducing more native grasses for it to yeah to sort of hide and, and right. weave in amongst so yeah. yeah it sounds like that a real key to Ben's sort of love is the fact that Kerry's there his wife and yeah you, you you know when you have that union yes is there anything better than that yeah we and I, you, you and I know very well, as I was looking at uh, something in the garden the other day, and oh, the bobcat had just driven <laughs> over it. It was looking beautiful the day before. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. she's she's um, she does a lot of yeah, she does a lot of the work. Yeah, she's she's really really great on what she does. So and and um, the colouring in garden, I think that's such a great way to narrow down your palette of plants which can be overwhelming Mm. I mean where I am in Bend of Islands we have to plant indigenous plants so my palette is reduced anyway which is I'm thankful for but it's it it really is a way of just going okay now this area on this side of the house is only going to be for my yellows my purples and pinks maybe or something along those lines Mm. and it really helps um, I suppose define an area, doesn't it? And, and and also sort of bring it all in and, and give it an extra sort of designer look, so to speak. Well, you actually notice a lot of the species, but even if you did a garden, it was just yellow garden, just all yellow plants. You'd think that it all blend in, and you wouldn't notice, but surprisingly, you actually do. Mm. So you do see individual um, species, yeah. even if they're all flowering at the same time, because you get the different shades. Of uh, the different shades of yellows mm. and the in the structure of the actual flowers as well and, yes. and leaf structure and all that so that's where you start noticing it, but I find it's it is a lot more effective 
as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, we've got one area which I'm trying to build up with um, yellows and reds and uh, I've got in the Acacia Scarlet Blaze, as you know, which, thank goodness, the uh, cockies ignored this year. Last year they almost pruned it down to a stub, mm-hmm. but it came back and um, the only acacia with the big, beautiful red flowers. And then around it I've got um, various other indigenous ones, which of course are yellow. So just having that real combination at this time of year, mm. it's just so lovely just mm. to be able to look at. And um, we've got the gold dust wattle, which is going off, and then they, one of the cultivars of that, uh, ruby tips, I think it might be called, which has got slightly burgundy foliage. Yeah, and I love it because, like, um, the gold dust wattle, it's sort of almost like a very mini tree, gets to sort of round about two-ish metres, but it's got a very defined trunk and then the, the, the sort of foliage on top. So you can underplant, which uh, makes it very, I think it's a very useful plant. Yeah. 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 So that's, um, and what about what's happening in your garden over there, Missy? Oh, um, well, the grevillea we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. What is it? Grevillea. Cinefe. Cinefe. Yep. Yeah. We were just talking about it. The catkin grevillea. Yeah, it's catkin. Yep. It's beautiful, prostrate, a lovely small tooth um, leaf. And we were just saying, or I was, that I'd bought a few and I gave some to my sister. And as we know, even when you do a mass planting and you'll have five plants of the same elk and they're sitting there not even a metre apart. And one or two are just not oh, doing anything. so annoying. And you're going, what's going on? Well, my sister's, these beautiful grevillea, um, such a beautiful, soft, lemony colour and it's prostrate. It's sort of, let's say, about seven or 800 in diameter. Um, and hers are beautiful. Mm. And I took photographs of them as I was visiting. And I went home and looked at mine and I just, <laughs> the face was glum. And then I had lovely Ben here. Give me a few pointers. And what was that then with the soil? Yeah, the so silica. You, mm. Yeah, well, you, you need to probably file the spray, the actual plant. So you can probably find, for starters, you need to check pH of your soil. Yeah. Um, that's that's first priority. Um, and that will determine what you actually need to do with the soil. But to correct what's in the plant, because the pH in the plant is different to what's pH is in the soil. So... I'd be probably foil spraying it probably with something like uh, calcium, which would be a really good one. So you can actually just use like a full cream milk, yes. um, just dilute that with a little bit of water so to, and then in a micro, micro spray, spray underneath the leaf, but do that in the morning. That's amazing. Mm. Um, That's amazing. I'm just gobsmacked. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can get your hands on potassium, potassium silicate, um, it's not something that's quite common to go out and buy, but you can jump online and buy that one. Mm. Um, that's an immunolicitor, so that actually will, will strengthen the cell wall um, and also help like the flow of like minerals that are going through the plant as well, which, which calcium does. Um, and also boron would be right. another element I'd be yes. looking at spraying because that actually helps to open up the, the stomates in the actual plant. And also there's uh, a pathway in the actual plant that shuts off during the day so it allows your sugars to stay up high in the plant um, and then over night it'll open up and then lets your sugars down and into the actual uh, base of the plant into the yes. root system so that's something that i reckon could be going on with your mm. grevillea there's yeah. and, there's and a lot of is that something you might apply to other grevilleas in your garden yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. general yeah yeah 
Yeah, but like I said, potassium silicate is something that's not easy to get, um, and calcium is not in. You can't just go and buy, you know, mm. calcium nitrates or or anything like that. You can jump online and find what these products. What form does the um, cal- the silicate come in? It, it's a powder or a no? It's actually a liquid. It is a liquid. Yeah, so it's it's very quite thick sort of a liquid. Um, what industries would usually use it? So where would you hop online and find it? Well, it's sort of new. So they've been doing research for the past 10 years, mm-hmm. but the past three to four years is where it's starting to really come on the market. Yeah. Um, a lot of the agricultural sort of company um, uh, farms are using it, yep. um, especially in food products, because when I mean, you look at uh, mass producing food, so they're, they're mining the minerals out of the mm. actual uh, ground. So And then they're only putting back like the, the major minerals, yeah. like your, your nitrogens Nitrogen. and your yep. potassiums and your phosphoruses, and they're not putting those minor elements back in, or things like potassium silicate, because that's what makes it a, a – it sort of prevents it from getting certain fungal problems mm. um, and also gives you better strength mm. in the in the actual plant as well. So which will – by doing that, will will boost your yield as well in, in the actual plant. So the silicate um – what do you say, silicate potassium? Uh, potassium silicate. Potassium silicate. Okay, yeah. so what does that actually do in the plant and, and does it help all plants? Yeah, it helps all plants, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, uh, it, it, it's a, it stimulates cell, cell walls. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll strengthen a cell wall, but you've got to actually have uh, calcium there mm-hmm. at the same time. Okay. Also yeah. boron. Right. Um, so boron, we're, uh, it's a, a synergist to, to calcium. Um, and then calcium is a synergist to, to, to silicate. Um, but you can't mix these all together because if you mix them all together, they just don't mix and, and don't work together. You'll end up getting a big slurry at the bottom of your tank. So these are the things you've got to sort of apply separately. Mm. Um, yeah, but just do it in, in stages. Like, for instance, like boron, um, you would apply that three times a year mm. as a foliage spray um, and just spray underneath the leaf mm. early in the morning when your stomates are open. So you get... Nearly 100% of that will go into the actual plant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's, it's about nearly 12 to 15% uh, more uptake of the actual minerals applying it through foliage spray than it is actually applying it to the soil. Okay. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Wow. Mm. And we're not getting technical here. No. My mind's just, you know. Loretta's you exploding see. over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Loving no, it. It's beautiving beautiful. every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. Love it, it. Can get quite, yeah, it can get quite technical. I love yeah. it, though. But there, there's a lot more involved with it. But I think the... The three main main ingredients is boron, um, your, your calcium, and mm. your, your potassium silicate. But mind you, you still need to apply all the other minerals as well, mm. um, because yeah. they're all got an important role in 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 sort of producing sugars yeah. and proteins yeah. in the plant. Um, and then by doing that, having a healthy plant inside the plant, when it it, it sends sugars down into this root system, so it's actually can provide microorganisms and your yep. and your and your fungi and all that. You mycorrhiza fungi fungi in the soil as well, yeah. which by doing that, they will actually correct anything in the soil and help break down like calcium and uh, and certain minerals um, yes. into the soils for the for a better uptake in the actual plant through the root system. Yeah. I mean, diversity yeah. is really what it's about in the garden, isn't mm. it? Mm. And the, at there, every level, <clears throat> there isn't a panacea. We know that. Mm. I mean, we know certain things react, you know, very well to one particular thing, but we've got to really always think diversity in our gardens. We do, yeah. 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 
definitely are coming back to that, Ben, but I should remind listeners that this is the 3CR Gardening Show and I'm, I'm A.B. Bishop. I'm in the studio with Ben Brooker and Loretta Childs. I'm going to get to uh, a few community announcements. Uh, we've got about a million. Anyone would think it was spring. Um, so I'm just going to spend uh, a good few minutes wandering through these community Lovely. announcements. We'll have a nap. You can, you can go <laughs> for coffee yeah. and, uh, yeah, come back soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today it's uh, there's still quite a bit happening today. Uh, there were two open gardens yesterday, um, Mullum Waters in Donvale and uh, Bev Hansen's Garden in Warrandyte. Uh, so they're sort of in similar area and they're both open again today from 10 to 4.30 and the entry is $10 for adults, $6 for students and under 18 free. Uh, Mullum Waters is 13 Konos Court in Donvale, so that's C-O-N-O-S. And Bev Hansen Garden is at 104 Webb Street, W-E-B-B Street in Warrandyte. Uh, so Mullum Waters is uh, owned by Sue and Bill and um, they've created essentially a habitat garden there. They've got a Phil Johnson billabong. They're extremely passionate about uh, Australian plants and uh, they've also uh, got book sales there as well. So lots of uh, related books about um, plants and critters. And, uh, yeah, I was there yesterday for a little while and that was all... Uh, it was all beautiful. It's very sort of naturalistic garden. Of course, the acacias are going off their head at the moment and, uh, yeah, it looks, looks very nice. And uh, Bev's Garden, Bev is a landscape designer and uh, they have a 10-acre property which is partly cultivated garden and part bush block. Uh, lots of beautiful ponds, uh, lawn area surrounded by very cleverly designed garden beds. It's just a delight to wander around. And they've got a Land for Wildlife accreditation and a covenant with Trust for Nature um, on that, ensuring that any future owners carry on the work of preservation. Uh, so they're on the Open Gardens Victoria website if you'd like any more details on those. The Fernie Creek Horticultural Society has got its spring show on at the moment um, and sort of focusing on daffodils, camellias, early spring bulbs and perennials. That's at 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras and from 10am to 4pm today. So you can go and um, get a feel a bit envious about all the amazing plants that people are growing. And I think they've got a competition on as well, so... Um, you can hop onto their Instagram page and have a look at them all. They're um, quite delightful. S next Saturday, 10th of De September, Oak Hill Food Justice Farm have got their first birthday party and open day. It's from 12 till 3pm at 233 Tyler Street, Wurundjeri Country, Preston. And the Oak Hill um, Farm was an abandoned suburban vicarage turned community garden. And since it began, over 100 people have volunteered there. And in the past six months, 60 kilograms of fresh food has been harvested. And they've got 20 different varieties of fruits and vegetables. So it's all happening. The Preston Primary Passata Patch Program teaches kids about food growing from compost and garden bed preparation to growing seedlings and ultimately harvesting food to cook. 
They also run a paid urban agriculture internship for young people experiencing barriers to work and study. And the Oak Hill Food Justice Farm Project is coordinated by not-for-profit Sustain the Australian Food Network. On this particular day, which is Saturday the 10th of September, they'll have garden tours. They've got a workshop on growing berries with Angelo Aliades from Deep Green Permaculture. And they've got a fermenting workshop with Sharon Flynn from The Fermentary. Great name. Uh, and there'll be seedlings and compost for sale. And it's a gold coin donation um, for entry to support the farm and its programs. So I hadn't heard of that one before, but it sounded really lovely. Good picks online for it. Saturday the 17th of September, uh, Australian Rhododendron Society of Victoria have got a plant sale. And they've got lots of rhododendron species, uh, some unusual ones, rare and unusual ones, hybrids, as well as varias, the tropical rhododendrons, um, which are all popping at the moment up in Queensland as well. There's, um, I follow a few people online who've uh, got them out. Boy, they're beautiful. They're, they're like a sort of um, trumped-up version of azaleas and just so many beautiful colours. Just bright. Very bright, Very bright yeah, yeah, extremely bright. Mm. Um, so there'll be experts available to chat with and if you're looking for a particular plant, you can call Michael Hare beforehand on 0405 403 607 and uh, no doubt he'll help try and help you find it which is very nice good thing to offer and that's at 10 a.m to 4 p.m the georgian road in alinda so that's the australian rhododendron society of victoria plant sale then open gardens victoria on wednesday the 21st of september it's an online event creative uses of australian plants and this is presented by michaela hamilton michaela is uh, one of the people that um, guest on the show occasionally and she's also lead horticultural consultant with Philip Withers Landscape Architecture. So the la- the um, online presentation is from 7.30 till 8.30pm on that's Wednesday the 21st of September and it's $30 and that will just be via Zoom. Friday the 30th of September, Encouraging Women in Horticulture are hosting Greening Our City, Gardens for High Density Living, and they've got a city green roof tour um, at Phoenix Tower and Parliament House. And if you need more information on that, you can email events at ewha.com.au. So that's Encouraging Women in Horticulture. And wonderful um, thing to encourage. Rooftop oh my goodness! And, yes, yeah, we need more and more. Being in the city last last night, I thought, oh yeah, we really need that. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I know in Paris, all new buildings uh, have to have a roof garden now, so that's uh, nice. Maybe we can um, copy that as well. More greenery. Yeah, yeah, more greenery make a big difference to the city. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next few ones that I'm talking about are all in relation to um, events that are happening around the Garden Lovers Fair at Mount Massenden. Uh, on the weekend of Friday the 30th and then Friday the 30th of September and Saturday and Sunday the 1st and 2nd of October. So on Friday the 30th, there's a garden design seminar with uh, Amanda Oliver and Michael McCoy. It's at the Mount Macedon and District Horticultural Hall from 2 till 5 p.m. 
It's $175 and that includes afternoon tea, drinks, canapes and one day's entry to the Garden Lovers Fair. Then on Saturday the 1st and Sunday the 2nd of October, the Mount Macedon and District Horticultural Society is presenting the Garden Lovers Fair and this is at Bollebeck. It's from 10am to 4pm each day. There's 40 specialist and unique stall holders. There's pots and plants, accessories, homewares, yummy food and drink and specialist advice. So it's at Bollebeck in the beautiful gardens there at 370 Mount Macedon Road in Macedon. $16 for entry and under 15s are free. Then on the Saturday, there's various gardens that are open in, in the area. So there's Forest Glade Gardens, there's Viewfield, Lewisham and Dural. And more information and tickets are available at thegardenloversfair.com.au or you can pay on the day. So lots happening in Macedon at the end of September. Okie dokie, Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th of October, and I know we're getting a bit far ahead, but um, some of these ones are ones that you would want to book for, so they just need to know numbers early. The Australian and New Zealand Herb Conference is on. There's obviously lots of herb-related talks, activities, food and goods to buy, presentations, herbal workshops and garden tours. There's morning tea, lunch and afternoon tea provided and there's uh, great raffles and market stalls. The conference program on the Saturday, there's uh, Dr Greg Moore who is talking about big trees, little trees and roots. Penny Woodward will talk about herbs for cooking, medicine and pleasure. Clive Larkman will talk about herbs, herbs and herbs. And there's a herbal workshop or a Friends of Botanic Gardens tour of Burnley Gardens. Uh, It sort of sounds like it might depend on whether it's sunny or rainy. And Tony Hoseman will present Native American Indian herbs. On the Sunday, Chris Williams is talking about aquatic edibles. Dr. Brian May is chatting about herbs of Taiwan in the home garden. Caleb Armstrong will talk about herbs for pain relief and there'll be also a workshop of All Friends of Botanic Gardens tour of Burnley Garden and Penny will be chatting about pest repellent plants and other organic solutions. So this is being held at the Burnley campus of Melbourne Uni and Burnley Gardens at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. The cost for both days, if you're a Herb Society member, it's $90. If you're not a member, it's $110. The cost for one day only, if you're a member, it's $50. And if you're a non-member, it's $60. And if you need more info on all of that, you can go to herbsocietyvic.org.au. On Saturday the 15th and Sunday the 16th of October, the Australian Plant Society of Victoria is presenting the FJC Rogers Seminar, which is all about fabulous peas. And there's, as well as uh, two days of fantastic events, there's also a um, an exhibition up at Kawara Gardens, uh, which is all sort of related so the registration for this for attending the event closes on the 23rd of September. The whole seminar is 
around identifying the major genera within the groups, about propagating and about growing pea plants. Saturday's presentations, um, there's a ream of different people chatting and Saturday night there's a dinner with a speaker and Sunday is a bus trip to look at various gardens. This event is at York on Lilydale in Mount Evelyn and if you need more information or to book, you can go to apsvic.org.au forward slash fjc dash Rogers dash seminar dash 2022 and it's probably good to remember that whole thing because if you just go to the apsvic.org unless you're more observant than I am um, it's quite hard to find the actual where the seminar is I didn't see a a particular spot so just remember that after the apsvic.org.au it's forward slash fjc dash rogers dash seminar Dash 2022. Oh my goodness gracious. Now, Ben, I think that's all from me. I think you wanted to mention some of the fairs that you are attending. Yeah, well, you've there's uh, one in, in two weeks' time, which yep. is actually uh, out at Yay, so mm-hmm. the uh, Yay Garden Expo. Uh, that's on the 17th and 18th uh, of September. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned before, we've got Bollybeck, which is on the first and second. Yeah. Uh, then there's also Lardner Park, which hasn't been, um, operating for about two years now. Um, that's the, uh, the garden and home, uh, expo mm-hmm. and that's on the 8th and 9th of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got the Yarra Valley plant fair, which is on the 5th and 6th of November. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they'll do another one in, in autumn as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. So you're going to be busy. Yeah, so we've got all these ones to start with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which, like I said before, we're, we're preparing for these ones at the moment. Yeah. So we've been writing a list for, for each individual one mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, sort of trying to get the, the stock ready yep. now. So And, and yeah. you're looking at plant producers over the last couple of years, as we know, um, you know, not being able to do those person-to-person displays is mm. is just i mean i know the 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 nursery business has also been booming in many respects because we've made it work yeah you know and gardens and garden suppliers and whatnot but um still you want to be you know fronting up there talking to people and uh there's nothing like that mm. especially the expos so because there's fantastic. different there's different plants there mm. so there's there's growers there that just you don't can't go to the local yes. nursery or, or anywhere to buy these particular yes. species. So yeah. yeah, and they have extremely specialist advice that you don't even necessarily always read about. So it's uh, yeah, def- definitely well worth it. Yeah, uh, I should open the lines up to callers just mm-hmm. in case people want to interrupt us <laughs> and talk about yeah. things. Yeah. Feel feel free to. <laughs> um, the line to talk to us on air is nine four one nine zero one double five. And the text number, if you want to text in a question, uh, we can't see photos, unfortunately, but we can see the actual message. That's 0488 809 855. And then for during the week, if you feel like uh, emailing in a question, by all means do. You can send it to 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. And if you want to check us out on the socials, we're Facebook 3CR Gardening Show and Instagram at 3CR Gardening Show. 
so by all means, uh, ring in. We've got uh, Ben Brooker and Loretta Childs. They're both landscape designers, but we're here to chat about anything and everything. Mm, yeah. So, yes. Well, I had a very different sort of uh, approach to coming in this morning. Yes. Because I normally come only from Christmas Hills in yeah. the Yarra Valley, but... Because last night I had a very big cultural event mm-hmm. and I went with a dear friend, uh, Ishta, and we went into the uh, Bangara dance performance. Oh, fantastic. It's called Sand Yep. Um, at the State Theatre. It was just, well, I'm still a little bit speechless, but mm-hmm. hey, that's going to change <laughs> um, because I'm here. It was just so stunning and so um, overwhelming, I suppose, yep. from... The, the moment the uh, the music started and the curtain went up, we were just sitting there agog at this incredible performance mm-hmm. and uh, moving moving beyond belief and telling us, I suppose, uh, it's interesting because it is dance and, it, you know, it's the music, it's the story is really still in your face. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a very special occasion. So, what was the story? Um, the story ultimately, I think, is is just sort of from the beginning of well, that t- talking about um, Terra um, Australis and 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 the fact that you know the beginning of all those thousands of years yeah. of of culture, sixty five yeah. thousand odd. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a couple it's of all years. about that the culture that. The land that we're on. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I had a, a, a little wander in this morning from Preston. Oh, lovely. Instead of coming, yeah. it was quite different. <laughs> and I got here half an hour early. I was there at 6.30. And you, <laughs> d- you, d- you didn't have to look out for kangaroos on the way, I assumed. I didn't. No. no, it was quite fun. Very nice. Mm. Oh, yeah. Good. How, I wonder how long the um, the dance is going for. It's been on for a few months. Yeah. Um, I think it might be coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fabulous. So, oh, lucky you. Yeah. Well, lucky. It sounds like they've got to be quick if they want to go and see it. Yes, yeah. 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 And and I think um, I was also mentioning earlier about the uh, the city being mm-hmm. the CBD. It was just so alive. We we also ate at um, uh, Big Esso, which is an Indigenous um, restaurant mm-hmm. in the, at, uh, um, what's that, Centre Square in town? Oh, Federation Square. Oh, that's it. Yep, yep, that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, and that was pretty fabulous too. Yeah, and lots of uh, bush foods ingredients. Yeah, fantastic. What did you have? uh, We had oh well, we actually we did have prawns, but it was sort of all about the condiment and and all of those sort of things. Pippies, um, beautiful pippies. I'm trying to the 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 ingredients were just fantastic. But Mm -hmm. uh, I um, and a a, a radicchio, which was done in all sorts of beautiful. Indigenous food, so mm-hmm. yeah, it was a whole experience. Yeah, fabulous. Must say, yeah, from way to go. Yeah, nice. Sounds very so, good. Yeah. yeah, excellent. And what's your garden up to? My garden. Mm. Um, it's look. I have been cultivating weeds, mm-hmm. oxalis particularly. Mm-hmm. It's so fabulous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Greenery as, all yeah, year. It is, as you know. I mean, and the wattles are are out. They're they're looking incredible. Um, and uh, coming to an end, watching the hardened burgias, I have a white and, a, a, you know, beautiful sarsaparilla, mm-hmm. um, the deep, deep purple, and they flower, you know, they overlap just. So it is 
it feels like three months of and I have them on either side of an entrance mm-hmm. and at the moment the white's coming out and the purple's going off and talking about colour in our gardens and mm. it's just heavenly, mm. heavenly. So um, what and, and the little grevillea that we were just talking about earlier. Which is going to be improving in health. It is just... You can, oh. you can rename it the Ben Grevillea. Oh, the Ben Grevillea. I'm very excited. Yeah. So And, and the, the, the pleasure of always being in at 3CR where... We engage with people and uh, learn. Yeah, it's just the absolutely. Best you should never stop learning with, with horticulture. It is. Always I always, learn. yeah, I think it's always amusing when you talk to a very young person, um, almost like myself, and you sort of, they're going, oh, you know, and I've learnt everything, and you're going, they're twenty two, and you're going. <laughs> Yeah, well, there'll probably be a few more things probably you can learn. a little bit more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Just, a, just a touch and, more. And you've worked with young people at um, Karanga and you, you know there is that element of thinking, you know, the yeah. young. Yeah. yeah. They say employ a teenager whilst they know everything. It's <laughs> <laughs> always... That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. I think it's, it's, it's also when you're doing the work yourself, it's... You're teaching yourself, yes, as well, because I mean, you, it's all trial and error, and and you'll you'll pick up on what what mm. to do, what's right, what's not, you know, what's wrong, and and you'll just rectify those problems. And yes, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's interesting because um, I, I think I mentioned this last time, but um, I did an interview with um, one of the people that comes in here a bit, Sue Stevens, who is an absolute incredible propagator of native plants and she's been um so so the interview is in september uh, gardening australia magazine and essentially we i plucked a mere eighth of her knowledge i think uh, about propagating native plants from cuttings and she grew up in a planty family, so she sort of reminds me of Stephen Ryan in that way, in that she has just been saturated with plants for her whole life and has got this incredibly broad knowledge. And she has uh, propagated exotics since she was really young, um, in her early teens, and then for the last 16-odd years has focused solely on natives. And her knowledge, like her nuanced knowledge, is absolutely incredible. It just, it wouldn't matter, like I, I could randomly mention a Banksy or this and she will tell me, oh, that needs to um, be cut at this time of year and the, mm. the uh, cutting needs to look like this and it needs to go into this type of media and it should be on a bench that's warmed at this particular temperature. Like absolutely yeah. nuanced knowledge that she mm. remembers and she has constantly experimented over the years. So it's not just this repeat information of chop some leaves off, dip it in uh, hormone powder, but mm. it's really nuanced knowledge with those little gems of advice which take it from being an unsuccessful cutting to, you, you know, being very yeah. – having a high proportion of your cuttings actually succeeding. Mm. So as you say, Ben, it's just that – ever learning and being prepared to think new ways about how you're doing things, isn't it? Exactly. And you find that actually because she's doing the trial and error, it's storing in the back of her mind. It's staying there where if you read a textbook, you read the textbook and you'll remember it a week later, but then you give it two years down the track. You just totally forgot about it. But if you've actually 
physically hands on, yeah, then yeah, you, you tend to sort of store it at the back of your head, yeah, back of your brain. You know, knowing and, yeah. Sue too, and sitting here with Sue, mm. is that she'll be the first person to go. Oh really? Mm. Oh okay. You're you know exchanging something, and that's the key. Yeah, is that openness to not always think that oh you know I know it all. Mm. She's just as open as yeah ever yeah. and uh, a, a delight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just um, she has to be one of Australia's you know m- most expert native propagators without without a shade of doubt. Um, yeah. So and in terms of your journey, Ben, about learning about trace elements like how did that interest come about and how do you like you sounds like you continuously reading about different things yeah look it's uh i was listening to an agronomist um on on plant nutrition mm-hmm. um because i look i wanted to to better our plants uh, to stimulate better flowering hold yep. better you know hold flowers for a lot longer um also for our vegetable garden i wanted to sort of make that alive mm-hmm. um so instead of applying inorganic fertilizers all the time i wanted to apply like the the microbes and and um and your fungi and all those sort of things to the soil to to have your soil to hold in the carbon dioxide and all that so i started listening to uh, an agronomist um and then the things that he was talking about um for instance like potassium silicate then i would actually would start doing a little bit more research on potassium silicate um, with with different universities and that as well. So, um, and, and that's sort of just it, it become a little bit more deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you, if you used one element, that that element needed a sy- synergist mm-hmm. to sort of help it move throughout the plant or yep. um, produce proteins or sugars in, in the actual plant. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how I sort of went down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's only sort of just recently. Mm. Yeah. Do you have sort of like a regime um, for trace elements? Like do you add them to the soil as well and do you add them at particular times of year? Yeah, look, I think you, you should add them to the soil. Mm. Um, but for, for a really good result, yeah, I think it's always best to sort of file spray the plant um, uh, so because the plants try to produce sugars mm. uh, and also turn the sugars and all those sort of things into protein. Um, but also the plant is trying to feed microorganisms in the soil mm. and mycorrhizae fungi and, and, and things like trichoderma, which mm. is something that um, is a really good thing to have in, in around your root system because mm. um, that'll help break down sort of calciums and then kill off you know, over 30 different types of pathogens. But it actually needs the plant to feed it. So it needs to actually have the plant to produce sugars and push them down of a night time into the root system and release it so they can all feed mm. on, the, on the sugars and proteins and that. So, yeah. And you mentioned morning spraying. Yeah, because your stomates are only open either uh, early in the morning. Yep. Um, you can do it late in the afternoon. Um, it'll sort of sit overnight. Mm. And, then and, and can I ask what are they? Stomates, uh, they're pores that open and close. Okay. So it's for part of the gas exchange in the actual plant. So okay. it'll actually take in like carbon dioxides um, and the carbon dioxides will, will, will mix with like your sulfurs and your calciums and, and it turns it into, helps mm. them turn into proteins and sugars as well um, and then releases like an oxygen okay. as well. So, yeah. yeah, and for a long time people thought that uh, you couldn't, well, you could feed foliar feed but it wouldn't make a difference, but it definitely does make a difference. Yeah, it does. Yep. And it's, it's actually not so much on top of your leaf. You have got stomates on top of your leaf, okay. um, but you've got all, all of them are really underneath your leaf. So that's where you should be spraying is underneath mm. the leaf. Uh, and then deciduous trees, 
the, the, the stems. So they actually have a, uh, a stomate that's called transcuticulated mm-hmm. uh, stomates. Um, so now with all your blossoms, so this is where I'll be starting to spray all your fruit trees with, with boron. Because okay. boron is, uh, it, it's that flower to fruit ratio. It will we'll help hold the fruit or produce the fruit, um, you know, nice and strong as well. So by, by spraying the stems, not the actual, if it's got leaves, just spray the stems and it'll actually have a better uptake of the, the mineral. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Mm. Good, good advice, Ben. And we touched on a bit of about pH and, and the importance of that in the soil. And, I mean, if anyone is sort of wondering about how pH relates to different nutrients, if you hop online and simply Google soil nutrients pH, you will come up with a little chart, um, Mm. which essentially uh, most horticulturists experience very early in their studies and um, sit there being blown away by it for a while. And it shows that at a neutral pH of 7, um, that's sort of generally where a lot of um, the uptake of the different nitrogen, phosphorus, so the macro and micronutrients happen. But then you'll see with some of the ingredients like iron, manganese, um, copper and zinc, they are actually taken up by the plant more when the soil is slightly acidic and things like potassium, sulfur, calcium are taken up more when it's slightly alkaline. So, um, yeah, so there's, you know, even hopping online and and downloading that so that you can compare it to your own pH when you measure that, that will give you, I suppose, a little bit more scientific advice about what to to do in the garden and and what you're going to need to do, Mm. what you might want to apply more of and... Uh, all, all those things. So it's re- really taking a, a nice scientific approach, isn't it, rather than just a haphazard, oh, I better add some micronutrients every couple of years. Well, exactly, um, because you find going off that pH, because that's something that I wanted to uh, sort of discuss as well, but also I was going to put it online for, for a lot of listeners if they wanted to actually sort of look into it. Yeah. Because you find, um, like if nitrogen, if your pH is sort of too alkaline or too, uh, or too, too acidic, so you, you find some of your, your elements become antagonistic. So you find, for instance, like nitrogen will, will shut down if your iron is either too high, mm. uh, if, you, mm. if your pH is down too low. So then your plant's not functioning properly. Yeah. So if, just by correcting your pH makes all those elements available. So I think it was around between 6.5 to 7 is where yeah. you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it does depend on what you're growing as well and, and that particular plant's natural environment because mm. uh, some are obviously more um, – they're in slightly alkaline soils and, yeah. and if you're adding too much um, acidity, you, yeah. you're not going to be growing them as well. So I guess that's something you take into account when you are choosing a new plant. Yeah, and, and where where you're going to grow it? You, well, you would. Yeah, yeah. and I, pH is a big thing, and and like I was saying before, is you check your soil pH first. Um, but it doesn't mean if you correct the soil pH, it doesn't mean that the pH in the actual plant is going to be the same. So you will, if you're slightly if you're too acidic in the soil, then I guarantee that the plant is actually going to be too acidic inside the the plant. Um, but the minerals that it helps to sort of uh, to correct the pH, move slow throughout the, the soil and plant. So you correct the soil pH, but then you have to correct what's in the actual plant. 
So that's when you go back to foliar spray mm. um, and then using the right minerals for, for those sort of things. So, but the thing is, you've got to be careful of like potassium. Potassium is actually something that will, it, it can change the pH of your soil mm. if it's actually used incorrectly. So, the, the, you know, people think, oh, like your bulk elements are, um, you apply them all the time, you know, it would be fine. But they do play a major part in, in pH in the actual plant and the mm. soil. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you've just got to be careful and try and balance all your minerals out. Um, and then, like, with your trace elements, you don't want to overdo your trace elements because, for instance, like molybdenum, um, you don't want big quantities of that mm. in the soil. Mm. But it's it, it's one of the minerals that's not really in our soils either. Mm. So you do need to actually have it there. Yeah. Um, but if you apply trace elements, say, let's say six times a year, then you'll find that that molybdenum will become a bit more toxic. And same with, like, boron and, mm. and all those other uh, elements. So you'd rather be more deficient than having a toxicity because a toxicity will actually do more damage than a, a deficiency. Mm. So you, that's why you've just got to make sure you just do very, very small amounts. Yep. Um, and then if you do it two to three times a year, um, that's quite sufficient. Mm. Um, and then using stuff like your nitrogens and, and potassiums, you can use them a little bit more, um, but not every second week or every yeah. third week. You just want to yeah, yeah. probably use them you know, maybe six or seven times a year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Do you have a fertilising regime? Um, no, not overly. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I've sort of probably um, don't spend enough time in my garden, maybe, mm. to sort of really get a regime going. Yep. I'm running around doing other things, which is a bit naughty, but um, they've got to survive. And, and what I put in, um, trial and error once again, and the rabbits... The this, the that, the mm. ruse, the um, deer. So, you know, there's a lot of that going on outside of the soil health. Mm. It's the fact that you've got vermin, um, mm. which are uh, often a, a bigger problem mm. because mm. you're sort of looking at what your planting needs to survive. And I always say um, people often, particularly clients, don't understand that uh, I will have planted that area four times, five times with different species of yep, plant yep. because they've got to survive and I'm not doing a lot to the soil because I'm on a native block. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's um, the the vermin that are often more the problem. Yeah. So soil regime, very low. <laughs> Fair Just Picking your weeds and just throwing it on top of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what right. we really need to yeah. do because it's going to stimulate bacteria and, yeah. and that sort of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. You you got a couple couple of weeds, couple of weeds, yeah, yeah. couple of weeds. My well, favourite. We all have them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old oxalis, love it. I tend to throw just a native pelletised fertiliser around a couple yeah. couple of times a year. Yeah. Um, I often have Craig Wilson in my head from Gentiana because mm. he's so. Um, persistent and consistent with his feeding and with his mulching and I he really inspires me I'm like okay this garden is amazing I really need to make more of an effort so and uh, yeah that's so I just go out and chuck it around a few times a year so it is yeah. very random but mm. and also get some sea salt onto it or some other yes. other liquid seaweed yep, absolutely uh, for me that that's uh, yeah that works really well Do and you? The veg- yeah the veggie gardens something else yes yeah Yeah, exactly yeah what's growing in your veggie garden at the moment (laughs) (laughs) not much (laughs) um actually yeah things are i mean the um artichoke sort of 
always comes back. The raspberries are sort of chuffing along. Um, it's just a matter of being able to see what's in there through the weeds. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's a theme. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, I'll be able to ply you with asparagus soon because oh. my asparagus uh, spears are starting to show their little heads. Okay. Which is all quite exciting. Sounds so it's, good. Yeah, good. going to be all systems go in a few weeks, hopefully. Mm. Or well, next Nothing. week I am hoping to get a little bit of assistance um, to, yeah, I've got Carla. Carla will come along, I hope, and we'll... We'll attack the vegetable garden mm-hmm. and whatever else we can to. And nice time to do it anyway. Mm, beautiful. Um, great time to pull weeds, isn't it? I mean, mm. the, the moist, nice and moist, yep. and you're really getting the whole weed out, which is great, unless it's oxalis, as I keep <laughs> repeating. <laughs> lovely little bulbs that get deeper. Something yeah. I was reading was uh, because Roundup is like your glyphosate, so gonna, <sighs> that's going to fade out. Um, yes. So they're doing trials with um, uh, a, a constituent called eugenol, and mm. eugenol is in cloves. Right. So if you soak cloves in water or even vinegar um, for a couple of days, it actually releases the eugenol. It's not killing the plant, but it actually knocks them right back. Mm-hmm. So maybe give mm. that a go and see if you can sort of make them sick. Yeah, yeah. so a bit of vinegar. Yeah, a bit of vinegar, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of water, uh, and... yeah. So if you've got a litre of water, yep. you probably put maybe you know, maybe six cloves in there um, and probably maybe 200 mils of maybe of vinegar yeah. and the rest water. Right. Um, yeah, and that releases the eugenol mm. in the actual um, mm. yeah, the, the clove. Well, yeah. we've got to find – yeah, we've got to do that. And I think it's um, going and seeing a, a client yesterday. Um, it was making me think all about – it was a very large property, a very big house, um, it, aggregate driveway everywhere, and a number of enclosed uh, what would, uh, garden beds. When I say that, via the driveway, the aggregate driveway, the concrete slab of the house, and they've been dug out. And what did I see sitting there is water, mm. and just thinking, gee, that's mm. sort of and and the thing was the water was coming off the driveway because it was on quite a batter um and and we discussed it and and he was really aware that you know he will need to do drainage and a lot of pipe work and and whatnot and um talking about the depth of the soil because in a lot of spots he only had sort of a hundred and fifty mil mm. and the deepest was sort of three hundred. Yep. And, and you know, when you get into a discussion about what will grow there, it's tricky. As you know, as a landscaper, you, you know, you're going, well, um, yeah, the, the various root systems, it's what you want to put in there. Mm. Um, I mean, if it's three or four hundred deep, anything sort of shallow rooted was, is going to be fine. But then you've got anything that you want in the way of large, large shrubs, small trees... It's going to be, yeah, really tricky. But uh, mm. the soil was was a really big part of all of that, going, well, it's going to be really scary to come in there and just fill all of those, like bowls, mm. with water. Where, where do you go with that? And uh, when you're sort of doling out advice, um, yeah, you, you err a little bit mm. um, on, on not sort of giving the wrong advice, I suppose, because there's a lot to consider. There and, is, yeah. Uh, that yeah. um, sort of a little bit of, well, it's naivety, of course, and, and it's a new gardener mm. yep. and, and you want to encourage the new gardener mm. and, and he was terrific and I sort of applauded him for his enthusiasm 
as he would sort of went to antique perennials and various places. But there's just creating from scratch so much more there to consider, isn't there? Yeah, and mm. you've got a bit of a uh, checklist. Oh, yes. Who I do. do you give that to? Well, in actual fact, this is my personal checklist, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's pretty broad, but I. I did actually give it to this client because mm-hmm. even though a lot of it, he was a young man living with his parents and it didn't apply to him, but in a broad sense, and I might put it up on the website, if mm-hmm. it's it's a nice little checklist to just go over to not be afraid um, of starting your own plans in your head, mm-hmm. but also about knowing when to engage a landscape person yep so all the things to think about essentially when you're developing a garden or 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 changing areas in in your existing garden yeah look I mean really very briefly it is just things you're you're obviously your site and your elevation and and looking at you know if you have a a great batter slope you've sort of got to talk about soil erosion and Mm -hmm. and retention and things like that then and all those level changes how you get from one level to another so you've got steps you've got slopes that you're going to just sort of have little nice little runs on um and then you're going to go into creating with your plantings windbreaks um creating privacy there's going to be undesirable views sometimes Mm -hmm. if you're in the burbs yeah um so then you can go through into okay hedges and and planting multiple species of the same then mixing it up with three or four or five different species um it look it can go on and on as you can see (laughs) there's lots but you know so that's why i say it's a lovely thing to just go over this is just stuff that comes out of my head um so looking at your your sort of position of your outdoor living areas Mm -hmm. so that you know if if you're going, so where, where's the sun? Yeah. Where's the winter shade, the summer sun, all of those sort of things. You've got to consider all of those things. And going into your surfaces, permeable surfaces, I think are paramount mm-hmm. because particularly in the city, this is our big issue, drainage, isn't it? So mm-hmm. particularly in the city, I think the more permeable surfaces we can create now with our rain gardens and those things are very important. Um, concrete, decking. Uh, all those things, paving, uh, consider where the water's going to go. Um, there's going to be uh, pergolas, um, those sort of things mm-hmm. where you might have them solid cover, you might have them with plants. Uh, quickly, I'll go through. Uh, you, if you've got children, you're going to think about children's play areas, but I always think about children's play areas in the bigger picture that you can transition from that. Yep. Years ago, I did um, young children, three children under 10, and it's maybe 10, 12 years ago, and we did a beautiful pond, and it had a cubby above the, uh, not a pond, a sand pit, mm-hmm. cubby above the sand pit, slide, and my thought to the client was, down the track, dig it out a little bit and turn it into a pond. Mm-hmm. And now, it's sort of 10, 12 years later, they've got a beautiful pond where the sand pit was, and just these sort of things, um, all the basics of uh, where's the clothesline? Mm. Where are you going to put your clothes basket? I, being the rock person, AB, 
Of course, I have done many, many clotheslines with large rocks where that's where the clothes basket goes and uh, hanging out many clothes over the years to all those children. <laughs> um, there's gates, fences, access, car parking, all these things to think of. Then, of course, I think everyone wants a little bit of a veggie garden. Um, and then you've got your special features, your beautiful features, like it might be water. I think water's a pretty important element for me, but it could be a bowl mm. of water, mm. particularly in the city, you know, to attract your birds and your insects and things. Um, specimen trees, sculptures, um, and lighting is a lovely thing to think about. It can be practical lighting, ambient lighting, all the things that we really need to think about. Um, so, and, and you do, of course, got to think about our, our taps and depend if it's a new build, really think about that when you're doing a new build from scratch, from your home in general. But I think that's very important. And we want to think about our pets too, if we've got dogs and mm. chickens and mm. all those sort of things. Um, and I always finish with a little bit of creating a habitat for all the critters. Oh, pleased to hear it. And all the children, because the children are critters too. <laughs> and um, just look after the, the Mother Earth Yeah, in all of that. So that's my little checklist. We, we can put that up for people to have a look at. And I think even if you do have an existing garden and just looking at changing a particular mm. element, yes. like some of those will be relevant, some won't be relevant. That's right. Yeah. A number of them weren't relevant for, for the thought. client on Friday. And yeah. I thought, yeah. And you sort of um, going walking with my granddaughter last weekend and uh, we were coming across, um, as we got out of the gardened area, it's about 12 acres, um, oh, there they were. And she's just springing ahead of me with her walking stick. Minnie, you've got to have your walking stick. And we're walking along and there were these beautiful, huge, you know, metre by two metre patches of green hood orchids. Mm. If that's not spring and... Oh, and thinking she's eight and been doing that since she was 18 months old, you know, mm. going along in the bush and... And gets and, excited by it. Yeah. Yep. And, and and beautiful sprigs of sarsaparilla, but not my planted in my garden. Yep. Sarsaparilla in the bush. It's just, yeah, oh, natural. It's just beautiful. Delightful. So that's me. That's really good. Yeah, great advice. And uh, because sometimes I think when we're thinking of a new area in the garden, we're literally just thinking about plants. Mm. not mm. necessarily thinking about all of those types of things and how yeah. the garden can be used. Yeah. As you said, I think you've got to think it's an extension of your house. Yeah. So it's got to be functional as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. All right, I've got a couple of questions that have come through on the text lines, so I shall read them out. Uh, this is from Deb in Croydon North. Hi, Deb. Um, my Pycnosaurus... Uh, which are billy buttons, uh, keep getting fisted with earwigs. What can I do? Um, that's, yeah, that's a bit annoying. Uh, the area is full sun, well drained. Um, they're in her front garden because I know her front garden. Uh, Deb, I'm going to say um, earwigs are mostly nocturnal, so you might have... Uh, um, more luck I suppose getting out there really early in the morning or before you go to bed with a torch and maybe even finding them and getting a pair of gloves on and picking them off just trying to break that life cycle because they uh, can produce quite a lot of young rather quickly 
Um, I mean, alternatively, you can use like something like a pyrethrum-based spray on them, but I know you don't like to use a lot of sprays. But, yeah, so either pick them off and pop them in a bucket of soapy water. Mm. A bit like snails, really, isn't it? Yeah. If, if you want to go out in yeah, the Yeah, because during the day they'll be... Early morning. Yeah, mm. they'll be snuggled down and, um, yeah, you won't, won't be able to see them as much. So that's what I'd be doing, getting up close and personal at night. Go and have a little stern chat with them um nikki from blackburn hi nikki uh yes nikki rang in um a while ago she's got a eliocarpus reticulatus a um blueberry ash and it she's been it's been in the ground for a while and it hasn't flowered um so we sort of suggested the panel suggested that maybe it was uh, seed grown rather than cutting grown but she, she has since found out that it's actually cutting grown um, she says, I haven't checked pH recently, but I will. Everything else around them is growing well. Does Ben have any clues? I have tried light feeding with various seaweed and fish fertilizers. Um, not a big use of fertilizer. So any thoughts, team? It's definitely, yeah, she needs to look at the pH of the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, by the sounds of it, it could be um, the pH in the plant too could be not correct either mm-hmm. um, because I'd say that the, the, the minerals that actually needs to sort of to produce flowers is not there mm. um, because you're finding one element's becoming more antagonistic, so mm. it's not allowing that flow of mineral. Is um, there a difference if we're talking about um, the seed grown and the cutting grown? How old was the plant again? Um, ooh, good question. Um, I think it's quite a few years old from memory. Um, uh, sorry, she doesn't say. Can't remember. Mm. Um, but um, I, I seem to recall it was a few years old yeah. um, and should well have been flowering. Yeah, even if it's from seed. They, they do flower reasonably quick. Um, they don't sort of mm. take you – know, the woman, I, I think within five to seven years they'll, they'll, yeah. fl- they'll flower, mm. depending on how quick they're growing. Um, but look, I'd even go back to uh, boron. Boron's a really good good plant uh, mineral for, for flowering. Yep. Um, and, and apply that three times a year. So you apply that. I think in her case, she probably does need to apply it to the soil, mm. but also foliar spray the actual plant um, and, and calcium as well. Um, yep. But once once you sort of you've you've done all that, then then even start applying um, like your, your sulfate of potash and. Uh, and a few other minerals like your, your bulk minerals like your nitrogen and all that sort of thing because by the sounds of it, I think that's what it needs. Mm. It needs to sort of build its immune system up um, because by the sounds of it, it's just it, it doesn't want to do anything because the minerals aren't there. Mm. 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 And I guess it's used to very well-drained soil as well and, and Nikki's in Blackburn. Maybe it's mm. not as well-drained, so maybe that's playing maybe into it somehow. Maybe it's got COVID. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's just tired. Long <laughs> COVID. It's been tired for a while, so, yeah. But yeah. definitely do the boron um, mm, cool. and, and the sulfate potash mm-hmm. as well. Um, but if she can get her hands on potassium silicate, that would be another really good one as well. Mm-hmm. And also um, fulvic acid. Um, that's another one you can jump online and buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a humate, yep. but that will uh, it, it'll chelate the actual element. So um, when you apply it, it'll the plant will grab that that nutrient and pull it in because chelate meaning Latin meaning claw. Mm-hmm. So it, it grabs those minerals and pulls it in, and then the plant will use it as it as it needs it because it's been chelated. Yep. Yeah. 
Beautiful. All right, Nikki. Well, hopefully um, some good advice that will um, turn your – I mean, because, of course, the blueberry ash flowers are just so sweet, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Little fringed bells. Yeah. Yeah. Delightful, yes. The foliage is beautiful on it too. Yeah, it's yeah. that nice sort of uh, – there's a few different colours in it, but then it gets that yes. sort of real powdery sort of colour to it, like salty sort of on it, uh, on the actual top side of the leaf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with Loretta Child and Ben Brooker. If you would like to chat with us, you can call us on 9419 or you can send through a text on 0488 809 855. Ben, let's talk about your plants. Yeah. No, I brought in some... Um, uh, well, for instance, like, like I was talking about before, was the, the bulbanella. Um, it's probably one of the first plants that actually starts flowering in, in our garden. Mm-hmm. Um, usually sort of starts sort of, oh, sort of closer towards the end of winter. Um and, and it'll go right through to uh, I've probably got another matter another month month and a half of flowering out of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the flower on it, it it's actually a yellow flower. They have a it's a six sort of petal star flower, uh, and the inflorescence is in that sort of nice sort of they call racemous uh, sort of inflorescence. Yeah. So it's very similar to like a red hot poker sort of type flower. And that um, multiplies that that um, leaf base multiplies. It does. It actually it's a, it's a rhizome. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it'll yeah. just sort of clumps it yes. doesn't doesn't send out a long rhizome it's a very short rhizome okay um yeah you get a nice sort of decent clump so from a plant that it's just a single plant um within three years you have a nice decent sized clump Beautiful. which would be around about nearly 30 40 centimeters in width and you could have multiples of flowers um looks like it would be quite hardy too it is it's actually from the the cape province in in um south africa yeah um so it can handle you know the harsh conditions, very, the conditions are yeah, very similar to Australia's. Um, so it will start sprouting in autumn um, and then puts on all this foliage and then comes towards you know, midwinter to, to late winter. It will send a, start sending a flower spike up mm. um, and then over summer it will actually dies back into the ground. So it's a mechanism of actually protecting itself from the harsh conditions. Um, but it's sort of, I think to describe the foliage, you're looking at like a very, like a grassy sort of type of foliage. Mm. Um, and then you have these beautiful long sort of flower stalks, which can get up around about a metre. Mm. Um, and then the flower spike on top of that, which is sort of average around about sort of 10 to 15 centimetres in length. The one I brought in is only small because it's only been, it's in the pot. Mm. Um, but we have on our Instagram, we've actually posted some photos um, of the actual flower in the garden mm-hmm. um, and you can see two together and they're quite sort of quite thick so uh, probably width of the flower you probably maybe around about sort of five to uh, okay. eight centimetres in width mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so um, it's, is it something you could plant around or plant sort of within and very close to other shrubs that sort of might cover it up a little bit when it's not in flower and then it yeah. just pops up at yep during spring? Yeah, as long as it actually gets really good sunlight when mm-hmm. it's starting to grow. Yep. Because um, it does need that sunlight to photosynthesise and, and uh, produce its sugars and all that so it can mm. actually flower yeah. really well. Yep. Um, because if you find if it starts getting overtaken by foliage, it's not going to perform very mm. well at all. Yeah. yeah. I call it a really clear yellow too. Mm. So it's a beautiful cr- yellow, yeah. It's a lovely, yeah. clear, crisp well, it's mm. very similar to Bulbeen bulbosa. That's what native. I was yeah. thinking of when it's I saw similar. it, yeah. Yeah, but mm. the flowers yeah. are much thicker, uh, yeah. much larger. Um, and, and also, Bulbanella, it comes in other colours. There's, there's oranges, there's whites. 
So there's all different forms of it, and okay. even different forms of the yellow as well. Which mm. um, I've got another variety growing now, but it still won't be probably available for, for sale for about two or three years. So okay. yeah. beautiful. So yeah. people can put it on the on the list on the yeah. on the yeah. wish list. So yeah. in the ground, is the foliage less sparse than it is here in the pot? It's quite thick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the ground, yep. it's uh, yeah sort of. Yeah, nice sort of clump of that sort of grassy sort of type of foliage. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing is it holds its colour. So it's not like a grass where as a grass grows, then the, the bottom blades will, will fold down and die off. These actually don't do that. They'll mm. only start dying off when the plant starts to die off into the ground. Yep. Um, and that's probably a good indicator too. Once you start seeing it to sort of turn colour, start feeding it as well yep. um, because it's actually going to draw nutrients in as it's going back into the ground to store yep. it for ready for the... Yep. The following season. Yeah. Um, I believe it. my garden is starving. <laughs> now I'm with Ben. I'm, yeah. I'm starving. You're going to run home and, and feed the garden. <laughs> it's it's so good. So is everyone. Like everyone is listening. Yeah. yeah. It's as simple as it actually. If you can get your hands on some humates, mm. um, yeah. like for instance, like fulvic acid, mm. even humic acid. Humic mm. acid you've got to be careful of. You can't mix that with minerals, with certain mm. minerals. But it is good to put into the ground because that will actually, that, that stimulates all your bacteria. Mm. So what you need, you need to provide life to your ground. Mm. Your soil has to have life in it. Yeah. So if you've got good soils, then your plant's going to live happy because it's the, the microorganisms in the, in the mycorrhiza fungi, they're mm. all producing minerals for the plant mm. and the plant's producing sugars for those in the ground as well. Yeah, yeah. it's where so it all starts, isn't it? That's from the ground why up. we all, all yeah. feed the soil, not the plant, and, and, the, and the plant will be happy in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, go to a caller. Hi, Jill. Hello. Nice to hear you. If you've got earwig, <laughs> take a take a paper bag, brown one, and then just half close to the top, you know, pinch it in a bit, stick up it, and then stick that stick into the ground, and the earwig climb up at night, and there'll be lots of earwigs in there because they're sheltering from the cold. Mm-hmm. You can just stamp on the bag and put it in the compost in the next day. Oh, can you explain it again, Jill? I, I couldn't quite hear parts of it. You get a brown paper bag and you put you sort of pinch the top roughly and then you put a stick into the paper bag and then you stand the stick into the ground or into the foliage and the earwigs climb into the bag to shelter from the cold at night. Very good. Mm. Actually quite good. And in the morning you can take your paper bag and wash the earwigs and put the whole thing into the compost bin. Very good. Love it. Mm. Nice organic solution, isn't it? Yeah, which I think we've got to convert to. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that sounds. I got, right. in, I, I got into trouble another day saying that because somebody was uh, not allowed to kill any insects. Well, I just think you've got to look at the bigger picture, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, because we've got to look after our good insects too. And yeah, if we start. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go for it. I'm about to plant a whole lot of native of uh, indigenous plants, and I'm on sandy soil that has had manure in it over the years. But I've now got 
Manchurian pear tree leaves that have been in the tub for about six months in water, and I was planning to dig in that sort of all of that, and then flood about two weeks after that. So what do you think about that as nutrients for the soil for nations? Has it all broken down, Jill? Yes, it's all slushy. Okay, yeah, look, I, I don't see that there would be any issue there. I mean, I think the thing with the sandy soil, as you would well know, is you're going to be constantly adding uh, compost and other things just to um, keep that soil in, in good condition. But, of course, if you're planting in ditch, they're going to be used to that soil. Uh, so hopefully you won't have to do too well, I much. I didn't think I'd do masses of it, but yep. just some, and maybe even just water it with the water. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't see that that would cause any issues. I've got a, my theme for my garden is magenta crimson and pale pink, and so I've got um, lots, of, lots of things, you know, the... Uh, um, I'm starting to lose it, that's bad. <laughs> that's okay. I hope you've got some gara in there. In I think going for indige. Oh, indige. Yep. Righty yeah. I thought I've native. Got, uh, yes, and I'll have some, have a prickly sort of um, plant that helps the native bird to have some protection as well. So it's facing in. And so I've got can- two sorts of kangaroo paws and uh, one sort of crimson and green and the other one beautiful dark um, crimson magenta sort of colour and uh, lots of small plants, you know, hypercaliber and horireflexor mm-hmm. and, uh, yes, I've got about 15 plants to go in, so it'll look absolutely stunning mm, wonderful mm-hmm. that sounds good yeah so those those elements i think will be completely fine jill thank you very much for that all bye right bye. No, bye nice bye. to hear you bye for now um yeah and and there are other um just coming back to earwigs other organic ways of doing it aren't there i mean people use uh hollowed out half oranges and and put them upside down in the ground and mm. the earwigs apparently come into that i don't have any trouble with earwigs or anything like that so i'm, no. I'm not i don't have the practical knowledge around yes, it i just yes. repeat the theoretical knowledge of other people so but yeah, yeah. But i think that was actually a help it was a yeah, great handy. one yeah, mm. handy yeah. Handy. i think that yeah. would work really well and yeah. and easy to then dispose of it and you know, there's well, yeah not pick, i mean i mean we can go and pick them off but not my favorite thing to do no with wigs. no so absolutely if, if they're all in the bag yeah. great yeah yeah, yeah. You yeah. Have to wash your hands afterwards absolutely <laughs> all right let's go to john in tulan vale hi john uh, hi Thanks for letting me on. Oh, good on you. What's your question? A little bit nervous. Um, I've got a wisteria and also an acacia floribunda, but they're uh, probably 20 metres apart. The wisteria has started some some time ago, and I'm a bit procrastinated. It's um, got, it's got a fungus in the branches. Uh it's like you, you sometimes see a banana. It's getting old and it's, it'll split. Um, it's um, 
So you, I'm getting sections, you know, might be half a, half a, you know, 300 mils long, and it opens up like a uh, an oval, sort of narrow oval, you know, might be a few inches wide in the middle, and, and comes back to a point at the either end, and then it just the the branch just starts to rot away, and. Uh, it's. Uh, it, I thought oh, I'll just go away because I thought those rots sort of only came in dead trees, but the tree's certainly not dead. Um, yeah, any clues? It's not getting damaged in any way, is it? I thought it, it, it had a couple of summers where it dried out, um, and I thought that that might have brought it on, but I would have thought that it would just stop. Does it get exposed to the sunlight where they where it's rotting out? Where? What was the question? Does it get exposed to sunlight? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. By the sounds, what you could find, it, it's like a sunburn. Um, because some trees actually do get that. They they they'll have like a canopy over their over their branches and all that. And then if uh, if it thins out or if a branch falls and then exposes some of the trunk, um, it actually burns the the, the what like what you call cambium tissue. Um, and then what that does, it dies off. Um, it doesn't break away. It sits there and breaks down. So you might find there could be insects coming in and they're, they're, they're munching on, on the, that dead, dead material right. and turning it into a soil because they're defecating whatever, whatever they're eating and it's turning into a soil. Um, so so you don't know of a fungus or something like that that somehow... Yeah, I, I think more than anything it sounds like a sunburn. Um, yeah, right, yeah. And, and, and it, that would, by, by that, that could promoting a, a fungus. Yes, yes, a fungus can attack it after it's split open. Yeah, so yeah. Um, with the wisteria, I mean, you can actually even direct maybe some of the, the branches and see if you can just sort of direct some of the branches over um, the new shoots anyway, um, over where these these parts are or yeah. if there's any exposed branching and see if that will sort of help protect it. The acacia is not so bad, but there's, 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 it's only just started on it. And it's it's uh, reasonably shaded, actually. So, uh, well, I was actually thinking maybe the fact that it was in the shade, it was because uh, yeah. it's a pretty tough sort of uh, wattle, that particular one. And um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I couldn't paint it. Can I paint it with something? Or oh, you can buy wound um, healing paint, but um, uh, I think you've got to got to stop the problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the other option is even if you take some some photos of it and and go to your local nursery and and talk to your local nursery and see um, what they think too, because yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. sometimes it, it can be a you need to visually sort of see these these problems. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, to sort of properly identify what's going on, um, and then even the surroundings as well. Um, but. I certainly don't think you need to sort of chemically sort of treat the problem. I think it's something as simple as maybe just, for what I think anyway, it, it, it's just a matter of covering those stems up. Um, yeah, and then... And yeah, even... I'm, not, I'm not keen on, on, on uh, poisons. I think with fungus you need something really um, sort of really not nice. Um, so, yeah. So, John, right, can, do, you, do you, can you see the evidence of fungus? Oh, yes. Actually, um, last, yeah, say six months ago, it actually, I think it had mushroom-type things in it. Okay, so sort of growing out of it? Yeah, out of it, and then, of course, they disappeared. But, yes, I was Mm. quite surprised to see mushrooms literally growing on the tree. Way and then cover it up. 
Yeah, you can clean them. Yeah, but yeah. the fungus but that's it's just feeding in there. Yeah, yeah. That, that fu- the, mm. the the fungus is actually that's feeding off the dead tissue. So that's actually not harming the plant in any way. Yeah, that's just feeding off that dead tissue. Right, um, yeah. yeah, so because by the it, it's been damaged in some way, um, and then, like I said before, it is yeah, the and, and breaking down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they can be, wisteria's can also be prone to like, the honey fungus, mm. um, which will um, essentially, you, you'll be able to see it through the plant as well. So, mm. um, John, I, I do you um, have email? Are you able to email uh, a photo through? Uh, not, not very good at it. Not, not very good. That's all right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's because... Uh, it, be one which I'd like to sort of get to the bottom of. Look, what I'll do is I'll I'll find your number. Um, Doug will, yeah, Doug's got your number, so I'll I'll give you a call and and have a talk to you about it and get a, a bit more information from you. All right, thanks for that. All right, um, so Doug's gonna Doug's gonna chat to you again and get and get your number. Okay. Okay. Yes. Good on you. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, it's at the. F- Fungus ones are very tricky, aren't they? Mm, very. Can be can be difficult to deal with, especially if it is a, a um, soil pathogen that's um, spreading into the plant. Yeah, but, but if you going back to the minerals, mm-hmm. so the the healthier the plant, mm. the more resilient it is to those yes. fungal problems. Yeah, um, yeah. And potassium silicate was one that um, has been sort of studies with, like your. Your powdery mildews and, and your mm-hmm. rusts and all that sort of stuff. It actually yep. helps fight against all that because it strengthens that cell wall. Yeah. And if you can strengthen the cell wall, the the insects in the in the fungal mm. pores, but they can't penetrate into the actual where because they're after the the sugars. Yes. They can't penetrate into the sugars. Yeah. So yeah. So if you can strengthen up that plant. Um, yes. Yeah. The better it is, the more resilient it is. It, yeah. It'll fight off the those fungal problems. Yeah. Um. You've got to keep the plants healthy, don't yeah. you? Yeah, and even yeah. high sugars in the plant mm. will stop insects as well, Like mm. especially like your... What about gall, you know, in, in your lemons and things? I yeah. mean, that's what they're going for? Uh, well, I think with the gall, yeah, so they're finding somewhere there where they can lay their larvae yeah. um, and for them when they hatch to somewhere to feed. So same thing, if that was high sugars mm-hmm. in the actual plant, um, you find that they probably won't land on that particular plant because they're... If they start eating those sugars, it's going to turn to alcohol and kill oh, them straight away. Okay. And surprisingly, with their antennas, they they they'll fly over and they see the flat uh, the sap flow in the actual plant. Okay. And if that sap flow is moving quite consistent, full of sugars and all that, it's not going to land on that bush and mm. and start eating it because yeah. or or lay its larvae because mm. it's going to think, well, it's not suitable for my yes. for me to raise my young, so I'll go to the next one that's suffering. With low sugars, mm, yep. and they'll go to them. Yeah, so, different yeah. chemicals that they put out. It's quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It's it's like the acacias in in South Africa or mm. p- different parts of Africa. When the animal giraffes come along and start feeding on them, they start pumping out ethylene, I think it is, or something like that. Mm. And any of the trees downwind of them, so this particular chemical that the giraffes don't like, so they sort of move along. But that chemical is also spread um, downwind. And so the trees that are downwind of them are aware Mm. and start pumping out their ethylene into the leaves so that the giraffes don't browse on those either and that's yeah quite incredible how that cycle of regeneration i suppose is just so natural in the bush and just Mm. protects 
the bushes being completely eaten out. Mm. So it's, yeah. it's pretty. It's, it's it's yeah. It's amazing. And, and we interrupt it all we the time. Interrupt, we do. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. Yeah. We interrupt it. You get a eucalyptus tree and it drops its seeds and they germinate. Mm. And if it's not getting enough sunlight and it, like n- enough carbon dioxide, so the mother tree will send carbon dioxide down through the root system through the mycorrhiza fungi yeah. and feeds the actual yeah. their young. Yeah. So it's amazing how they do it. Yeah, yeah so, it is. Yeah. Uh, so lots of earwig uh, talk. Chloe, hi Chloe. Um, another trap is to scrunch up some newspaper, put it around where the plants are and mm. uh, the earwigs hop into that and you can again stomp on it and chuck yeah. it in the compost yeah. um someone has one is wondering are beer traps for earwigs a good problem a good option i have an overabundance of earwigs also and um, and and beer yeah i don't i don't think yeah abundance. I, I don't think well i've never heard of earwigs being attracted to beer i mean slugs and snails yes i haven't heard that earwigs are um i, th- I think i'd be going with the with the, the um yeah. with the paper yeah, yeah with, and the newspaper sounds just as good really yeah, yeah absolutely those little crevices yeah. and yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah. um Jan from Ormond. Hi, Jan. Has got a 30-year-old Illawarra flame, Illawarra flame tree and something is eating its leaves. Mm. Mm. Well, that could be... Caterpillars. Caterpillars, could be, yeah, yeah. beetles, yeah. Um, could be how, literally anything. Depending, depending on how big the tree is, but if you can get the sugars up high in the actual plant, yep. um, and that's going back to using your, your nitrogens and, um, and, and calciums and that, and... If you can get a high sugar level in that plant, that'll kill off those those caterpillars. Yeah, because yeah. it, it'll turn to sugar. Yeah, and it just ferments and turns to yeah. alcohol in their in their in their stomachs, and they will just fall off. Yeah, mm. I mean, Jan, it's hard to know, really. I mean, yeah, could be, yeah, Be- beetles, mm. caterpillars. If you can't mm. see possums, them, I mean, yeah. it's yeah, it's mm. pretty broad, isn't it? It's a, yeah. yeah. Bit, bit of a tricky one to answer so, I mean, that it's one. A gen- it, it's great because what what Ben's saying is in general. Mm. This is going to be applicable to whatever it might be when you get those that sugar level up. Mm. So, yep. Mm. Yeah. And all about making sure that your plant is as healthy as possible, yeah. so yep. that it doesn't get attacked. So, Anne from Heathmont also wants to know what concentration of boron you recommend for the foliar spray. It does say on the packet. Um, I tend to sort of mix it a little bit, sort of not as if it's like because you'll get like a. Um, it's a powder form and, and you get like a little spoon with your, your little um, product that you buy. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, you can buy it from Bunnings or you know, mm. any garden store. Um, it, I think it's something like, I think, three per litre, I think it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might just use one per litre. Yeah. And that's why I'll apply it three times a year mm. um, in smaller doses. Mm. Uh, it's a, just a much better way, I think, of doing it. And that way, because if you, if you ever do boron, like I said before, it, it can become more of a problem than being deficient in boron. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's why you've got to stick with small amounts, but just do it a little bit more frequently throughout the yeah. year. All yeah. right. Well, we've obviously struck a chord with listeners about the mm. um, about the trace elements, etc. And uh, David from Mount Waverley. Hi, how are you going? Yeah, good morning. Thank you. You pretty well just answered the uh, question there, Bob. Yeah. But um, borax, can you use that? Yes, you can. Yeah, because yeah, if you boron's a, it, it's a mined uh, mineral um, out of like salt lakes and and that. So when you when you buy it, the it, they're all ninety nine percent boron. 
Um, okay. Yeah, so it's all all clean. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's right. Good on you, David. That was a quick question. Actually, David was uh, one of the people who was very interested in your talk on uh, trace elements, etc. last time you were in. So oh, yep. it was, yep. yeah, yeah. I, let, I let him know that you were coming on today. Oh, yeah. but I'll, I'll give a little recipe for some uh, for, for everyone yeah, as well fantastic. before we, we finish mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. you can just do it, make it at home. Yeah, yeah. great, so. great. Sounds good. Well, let's get to another one of your beautiful plants. Yeah, okay. another one I got was, uh, it, it's called a Sarum Splendence. Um, they're all just starting to flower in our nursery now. Um, they're a, like a woodland plant, yes. so they're not a, not a very large sort of growing plant, and they, they'll send out right, um, uh, like stylons, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. yeah, like a, uh, like a stem which will run along just on top of the ground. Um, but the foliage is, uh, they're, they're a really nice sort of heart-shaped sort of a leaf. Yep. And they're a nice sort of dark green with sort of silvery sort of markings through it. Yep. Um, and, and there's other versions of it too with, with the sarums, I mean, which you can get, which are more of a rounded sort of a leaf. And then you've got, you know, just a plain green leaf, but the flowers are a, a nice sort of maroon colour. Um, you can get them in whites as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular one here... Um, the flower on that one, it's sort of really earthy sort of colours. They're, yeah. uh, they're like a three sort of pronged sort of flower, which sort of it, it feels like a lazy flower. It sort of relaxes mm. on the soil uh, and facing outwards, which is its mechanism, I think, of more um, attracting like beetles and ants to sort of pollinate it um, instead of sort of sticking above the foliage and, mm. and sort of showing, you know, any flying sort of insects. Yeah. Um, but the... Like I say, with going back to the colour of the flower, especially with this particular species, it's like that sort of browny, sort of maroony, sort of earthy mm. sort of tones through it with a nice sort of white sort of margin um, on the inside of the the, uh, the flower as well. Mm. Um, and, and, and the common name on this one here they call it was the Chinese um, uh, ginger mm-hmm. uh, but it's not an actual ginger plant, so it is a very it, it is it does contain toxins, so it can't be really consumed. Um, it's quite yeah, unique. It is, yeah. yeah. Like the flower is actually underneath the foliage, um, so you sort of once you get a decent sort of size sort of plan of it um, to really sort of see the flower, you've got to have it up at eye level, or you've got to sort of get down and sort of see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flower. Um, but like I was saying, it's one of those plants. It's, it's a really unusual type of flower. Um, it's not just a common sort of sort of star shaped flower. It's that nice sort of like a cup-shaped flower with these three prongs that sort of fold back um, uh, in a sort of, I don't know, like a half-star sort of shape. Is that one that you'd keep in a pot or do you actually have it in the ground as well? Yeah, like, they do grow really well in pots. Mm. Um, but yeah. I'm just thinking from a point of view of actually being able to notice it when mm-hmm. it's flowering because it's almost the same colour as the soil in some way. It is, yeah. you really got to sort of yeah. look sometimes to the same flower. Yes, um, yeah. But the foliage is really nice too. So if you do put them in the garden, you can sort of just grow up for the foliage. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think in a pot where when it is flowering, it'd be something I think I'd like to prop up on the table so you can actually see it. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So. Very unusual. It is. Yes. Yeah. And that's another one I've put on my Instagram as well for for people to look at as well. Right. And then hopefully we can send them all to Liz as well who does our socials and we'll we'll pop them up there. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Terry in Chelsea. Hi, Terry. Hi there. How are you? Good. Oh, that's good. Um, I have Phalaenopsis orchids and I've had quite a few, but anyway, I've lost a few of them. But this one has got another spike coming up again. But it seems to have, and your guys, the 
think it's a mealy bug. It's little white flecks and it's sticky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mealy me- me- bug. Yeah, potentially, now, should, yeah. I do think the roots look really, they're so healthy and everything on it. Would you change the soil? Yeah. I mean, I've tried um, doing it with methylated spirits and and also spraying it with Echo Pest. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it keeps coming back again. And I noticed this morning it's, you know, coming up and and the spike that's on it is getting really um, sticky on the ends of it. So I thought that's going to die off again on me. So Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they can be susceptible to different sorts of scale as well, orchids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, by all means, empty out, get completely new potting mix, uh, empty, empty it all out of the pot, completely clean the pot, um, and you can like even I've wash... I've done that before, but, yeah, but anyway... Yeah, you can but, even wash the roots off, like sort of dunk them into... Um, oh, would I? Okay. Yeah, yeah, just to sort of uh, clean them a little bit and just try and get rid of any... Um, eggs or any sort of overwintering scale insects or whatever it is, whatever is yes. the problem, and yes. at the same time deal with it actually that on the foliage or the flowers or, or wherever it is because you're just yes. trying to yes. really break that life cycle um, yes. and, yeah, pop it into new potting mix. And, and would you suggest like an orchid mix? So I'll give that a good wash and do it in the orchid mix? Definitely. Yep. Yeah, because I have I just bought another one just um, a week or so ago, and I noticed that's potted in um, sphagnum moss, and I just I don't think the sphagnum moss would be is really suitable. Do you? Well, they and I noticed this one's in sphagnum moss too, and I'm, yeah, often when you when you buy them, they're sort of planted into those sorts of mixes because they're sort of well drained but they hold moisture so it's yeah. a case of being being able to be in the shops for a long time without having to be watered uh, oh, so okay. I would definitely swap it over to a more suitable mix yes okay and just wash it off in just in in water under the tap gently yeah yeah. yeah, and and you lukewarm can lukewarm water. Would you suggest you could use lukewarm water? Yeah, and yeah. Um, just yeah, make sure try and get it into all the nooks and crannies, and yeah, that that's just try and break that life cycle. Yeah, I just uh, the um, actual roots are sort of out from the pot, which they do grow like that. Yeah, but they're so healthy, and they're sort of growing over the side of the actual um, container that I've got it in. So it's really they're. It's amazing the way the roots have grown. It is amazing, so, and orchids generally they don't mind being pot bound. So no, you know you right. m- you might have a look at it once you've pulled it out of the pot and think, do I go up to a next size pot? Um, is it ready to go up to the next size pot? But yeah, they don't mind being root bound. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much for your help. Good on and you, I Terry. Hope, I hope that works, and I do enjoy listening to your program. It's so good. Oh, it's good on one you. One of the best gardening shows. On the radio. Ah, thank you. That's very yeah. kind of you. That's okay. All Have right. a lovely day. You too. Bye, Terry. Bye. Bye. Oh, very good. Yes, the scale on orchid. Mm. Very mm. annoying. Do you grow orchids? No. no. Oh, we've I have just, one. Yeah. One. The native. Mm-hmm. Native orchid. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. So.
I'm looking forward to them in the bush, I must say. Yeah. As always. And you're right, well, the, um, the, the green hoods are the sort of the first. A bit of the harbingers. There's yeah. a few caladenias popping mm. up around the mm-hmm. place and soon mm-hmm. it'll be the, the spider orchids. Yes. Yeah. I've got a little patch that I check out regularly to see oh, if nice. they come up. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, um, it's all very good. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe yeah. we are nearly at oh. the end. Ben, let's talk about another of your plants quickly. Uh, probably the babiana. So mm-hmm. I got a, I brought a, a beautiful little babiana. It's one of the largest flowering um, babianas. It's mm-hmm. called babiana pygmia. Um, common name they call it basically is baboon flower. I don't know why mm. they call it baboon flower. Oh, that's I think not it's, nice. We, well, I don't know. I think maybe because it's some of the probably the markings on some of the other varieties sort of mm. resembles probably the the colours and that on a baboon yeah. sort of yeah. face. Um, yeah, but this 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 one here is that's a really nice sort of lemony sort of creamy sort of yellow colour, uh, and it'll have like a, a maroon sort of centre on this mm. one here. But the flower is like it is like I said, it's the largest flowering babianas, mm. so you can get up between eight to ten centimetres in in width the actual flower. Mm. Um, but the plant's not very tall either; it only grows to maybe sort of twenty centimetres at the most. Mm. Um, but the the foliage on them is sort of like a flat sort of flattened sort of lineal sort of type of leaf and it has these sort of sort of venuation markings which runs down the the center like down Mm. the actual leaf Mm. yeah yeah it's beautiful it's really delightful Mm. but it's another south african plant um so it handles our soils our our Mm. conditions really well yeah so same thing comes up in autumn um yeah yeah, starts flowering around now it'll die off over summer um Mm. sort of protect itself and yeah i I have um coming up the dracunculus vulgare That's a big flower, isn't yeah. it? Do you know that yep. one? Which one's that one? Dracunculus vulgare. Yeah, yep. yep. All right, guys, we're going to have to wrap up, unfortunately. <laughs> Obviously, we could keep talking. So I would like to thank Ben Brooker from Treasured Perennials for coming in and sharing your amazing knowledge. Oh, Look pleasure. forward to chatting again. Loretta Childs, landscaper, thank you, darling, for coming mm-hmm. in. My pleasure, pleasure to chat. Thanks so much to Doug and Matt for uh, producing. Been great, guys. Thanks for all your help. And thanks to Liz for doing our socials. Uh, this is the 3CR Gardening Show and hope to um, have your company again next week. So bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.